When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Evan Lazar and you're listening to the Patriots Beat Podcast alongside Alex Barth from 98.5 The Sports Hub. And Alex, we have talked a lot about quarterbacks. I mean, a lot about quarterbacks over the last couple of weeks. So we're going to try to avoid saying the word quarterback for the rest of the show and look at some other positions and needs for the Patriots, both in free agency. We're going to talk some cap casualties possibly with the salary cap obviously going down across the league. And the one thing that you hear from everybody whether it's reporters, people in the NFL are saying that there is going to be a ton of veterans cut before March 17th just to get teams below the salary cap and to give them wiggle room even to go ahead and make more moves. So we're going to see an unprecedented amount of players cut, players traded. We're talking about veteran players here. Right. And players on the move before we even get to March 17th. And then on top of that, I think a lot of contract restructures are going to happen before that date. Just a lot of salary cap maneuvers. I know you wrote about this in terms of trade acquisitions, but that's where the league is heading right now in the certain places like Philadelphia, it's already happening. Uh, there's just going to be a ton of veteran guys that are going to be available to next to no cost or maybe cut to add to this free agent market because of the cap situation that the league is facing right now. Right. And you mentioned, you know, the, the next to no cost thing. I think we know it might be a struggle at times for the Patriots to recruit free agents, especially veteran free agents who may be, uh, you know, going after a ring. They've already gotten paid. They want a chance to win. But if you're the Patriots, you know, if you can trade for some of these guys and you can afford to absorb maybe a bigger contract, right? Like a guy like Zach Ertz, who we'll talk about, does he get $12 million a year on the open market? Probably not. Probably comes in a little shy of that. But if you're the Patriots, you can afford to pay him that. And if you trade for him, you don't risk. Like, I think we all know if he hits the open market, he's going to Indy. I think that's like a foregone conclusion. But if you trade for him, you can skip that step and, and you know you get him in the building. So, I think when we talk about these veterans getting cut around the league, you know, like the Alshon Jeffries, Kawan Shorts, um, I think with Trey Boston, right, got cut in, in Carolina. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think the Patriots won't be players in that market, but I think given, you know, as we know now that free agency is anything but a sure thing for them, going out and getting some of these guys via trade to make sure that they get them in the building and not leaving it up to chance, I think that's strongly on the table as well. And like you mentioned I wrote up, uh, yet yeah, today's Tuesday. Yesterday, you can check it out, 98.5thesportsub.com or on my Twitter at RealAlexBarth. Uh, five potential trades for the Patriots. So four of those cap casualties. And I threw a Gilmore suggestion out there as well. And you know, you could, uh, we'll see what people think about that one. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest thing for me is that. We're talking about attracting free agents all the time and how it might be difficult for the Patriots. And like you said, they can skip that step by throwing Philadelphia a fifth or a sixth round pick for Zach Ertz to avoid that free agency altogether because – when they get into a bidding war with another team or if they get into a situation where Ertz is picking between them and the Colts and his old friend Frank Reich and his old quarterback and Carson Wentz, I mean, where do you guys think he's going to logically go, right? Right. It's obviously not going to be New England. So the Patriots have to make some of these creative moves. And I want to start with Ertz, who is due $8.25 million on his contract. Some people think that's an overpay for the player given... What? It's it's a $12 cap hit, isn't it? It's an $8.25 million cap hit for his new team. I don't know why I thought I saw 12. Okay. But oh, for his new team. Okay. Right. So cap hit is just total cash that he's going to earn in right. 2021. That's how you get the new team's cap hit. There might be some, you know, likely to be earned incentives or not likely to be earned incentives that get tacked on there. But $8.25 million is the base cap number that whichever team acquires him, that's how much they are going to have to count against the cap immediately. A lot of people think that that's an overpay. Uh, 2019, Zach Ertz had 90 catches for Philadelphia, right? That would be the Patriots' tight end production over the last two seasons doesn't even equal that, right? So I think what you're looking at is a player that you hope could 
revitalize his career here. That could jumpstart his career again and get back to the point where he is a productive player. I know maybe some people think he's washed up. Some people think he's he's done. But I think that these are the types of calculated risks that the Patriots might be willing to take. And they have called on Zach Ertz, but they've called on pretty much everybody that's available, right? Every quarterback. Right. Every offensive skill player, I'm not saying that the negotiations have gotten very far with Zach Ertz, but I do know they've been on the phone with Philadelphia about Ertz. And I think that this is the exact type of chance that the Patriots need to take at that position because really what they're looking for is a veteran to come in and just give them serviceable, serviceable starter play while they develop with either a rookie or the guys that they currently already have on the roster that are second-year players in Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene. And again, the expectation right now around the league is that he gets cut. So you're not going to have to give up too much. I have them giving up a fourth-round pick for Ertz and getting a sixth-round pick back as well in the deal. And again, like how many teams are going to offer if they think he's going to get cut? So, you again, you can jump that line. I don't think a fourth-round pick, like some people might think that's high. But when I look at pick-for-player trades, and this this goes for a lot of the trades we're going to talk about, so I, I apologize if I repeat myself throughout the show, are you drafting somebody better than Zach Ertz with that pick? And right. look, your Ertz is significantly older. You don't have the four years of team control. He's making more money. I get all that. But the Patriots just need talent right now. They need to get their heads back above water before you start talking about all that, especially at a position where they have youth. They have team control. They have three tight ends currently under rookie contracts. So, you know, do you want to take another swing at a fourth-round tight end? Again, Ertz is better than anybody they're going to take in that spot. Ertz right away, even coming off a down year, I think, is a better chance than any tight end in this class outside of Kyle Pitts, who is generational. So for me, it's a no-brainer. But you can't you can't wait and let him hit free agency. And I guess that's where this aggression talk that you know about them being more aggressive than the past. That's what they would have done in the past. They would have waited. They wouldn't trade for him. They let him hit free agency and see what happens. They need a different approach this year. And it sounds like if they're calling on him. Uh, at least a little bit they have a different approach where they're willing to discuss discuss a trade. Yeah, and the, the biggest thing I would say with Ertz is that back when he was at his best, and again, 2019, 90 catches over 900 yards and six touchdowns. That's pretty darn good production for a tight end. And when he's at his best, he is one of the best route-running tight ends in the entire NFL. This was a guy that can really get open at the top of the route. And we remember the Super Bowl all too well, how good he was in that game. But beyond that, slant routes, things over the middle, uh, pairing slant routes with out routes, and really getting co- – guys confused based off of their leverage and where they're going to attack him in the passing game. He is very, very quick at the top of his routes. The problem is, is that if he's lost any sort of juice in his legs, then that quickness can evaporate really quickly. And he's not necessarily a dominant physical contested catch type of tight end. He's more of that quick agility type of tight end at the top of the route. So you have to make sure that he can still move and he can still run. But in terms of what he was doing just a couple years ago, his route running is extremely good. And that is really the calling card for him. And the Eagles love to run that RPO slant concept with him in the slot where he's the backside slant option for Wentz or Nick Foles or whoever it was under center. And they would hit him on that slant pretty consistently, especially on the backside of the formation where he would often get isolated one-on-one coverage. So those are the types of plays that you can use Zach Ertz on. I think that the Patriots can build something around Zach Ertz in terms of his route tree at the tight end position. And again, it gives you time. It buys you time for a guy like Devin. Anasiasi or Dalton Keene to develop here along the way. I'll even throw Ryan Izzo's name in there, even though I think that's a less likely one to develop into a good player. Those three guys, it makes it so that the pressure isn't all on their shoulders to carry the load at that tight end position, and it gives them another veteran to kind of get in the mix. The other Eagle player that's already been released as of yesterday is Alshon Jeffrey. Similar scenario to Zach Ertz, where 2020 injury-riddled disaster, right? A bad player in 2020 on tape. But in 2019, again, not too long ago, just two years ago, Alshon Jeffrey was a productive NFL starter. So another player that you might be able to get now, he's cut, he can sign with any team at any time, and you might be able to bring him in here, have some name recognition value, and get somebody that can maybe move the needle a little bit for you on the outside. Yeah, I, I'm not super into Alshon Jeffrey just because, but I wanted to pitch it out there for no, you. No, it's, it's fair. I mean, they need receivers. He's a big name receiver, but he's like a big body contested catch guy. It, he's Nikhil Harry, essentially. I mean, he's better than Nikhil yeah. Harry, yeah. but it's that same player mold and they clearly str- are struggling right now 
to figure out how to use those kind of players and how to, to get those kind of players to be productive in their offense. So, I mean, he, he's not a guy who's going to sign for the minimum. You're going to have to pay him. Yes. And I just think that, you know, there's, there, you know, any of the, the names we've talked about, Corey Davis's, Kenny Galladay's, like those kind of players, I just think are better options at this point. I'd rather spend that money elsewhere than a guy who, you know, you take that prototype of player, you put him in this offense, and it, the last two or three years, it's been a mess with those guys. So I just, I, I don't think that's their guy. I don't think it's a scheme fit. I would pass on Alshon Jeffrey. Yes, yeah, so Alshon Jeffrey, I'd pass on him too, because he's the type of guy that was really predicated at winning at the line of scrimmage. That was everything for him, right? If you can get off the line of scrimmage and get the defender on your back, that's when you unlock those contested catches down the field. That's when you can look back to the quarterback and tort your body, go up and high point the ball. Whenever you get the defender on your back as a big body pass catcher, that's when you win. And if you're at the line of scrimmage, you got to be able to have that quickness, that suddenness, that agility and with his history lately of foot ankle issues and the things that have kept him off the field that's where you start to see those types of things go down down and, and really hurt a player like an Alshon Jeffrey where he's not as quick he's not as physical he's not as bursty at the line of scrimmage and it makes it more difficult to set up uh, those contested catches now I want to run through the veteran tight end market is about to be ridiculous because there's even more veteran tight ends that are probably going to get cut beyond Zach Ertz, Kyle Rudolph, Cameron Brait, but a really interesting name along those guys, and we can go rapid fire with Rudolph and Bray, is David Njaku uh, from Cleveland, who's somebody I've been trying to see if the Patriots could get their hands on. I know they didn't really seem too interested in trading for the player, but maybe if he gets cut, it's a different story. But let's start with Kyle Rudolph. Uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, or Red Zone Reindeer, or whatever they call him in the fantasy world, uh, was pretty good for a while there in Minnesota, for sure. Yeah, no, he'd be a good fit. I mean, they just need a veteran tight end. I, I like Gerald Everett from that group just in terms of upside. He's also yeah. a little bit younger. Like, I think if you sign Kyle Rudolph, that's a one-year deal, and you're hoping that in that one year, Devin Asiasi and or Dalton Keene figures it out enough where they're your starting tight end coming out of it. I'm not seeing that from those guys. I'd like to, you know, maybe those guys are tight ends two and three. I'd like to see them bring in a guy like a Gerald Everett, uh, a guy like a Robert Tanyan, who you can give a, a you know, multi-year deal to, a three, four-year deal, and have that guy be your tight end moving forward. So, you know, Rudolph, I, I wouldn't be mad. I think he'd be a good fit. But I'd like to see them if there's a position that they're going to take a more long-term approach, right? I think receiver is going to be short-term approach. Um, you know, I unfortunately I think quarterback is going to be short-term approach. I'd like to see them take a long-term approach at the tight end position, and I think they can. Yeah, Rudolph is an interesting player though because they've liked him in the past. They just haven't really been able to figure out a deal with Minnesota. Well, that's all those guys. I mean, Injoku's the same yeah. thing, right? I, I don't know if they were ever too interested in Njoku, but Bright and Rudolph, I think, are two guys that they've had circled at times as targets in the trade market, certainly. And, and Cameron Bright's a really interesting one, too, because I like Bright. In Tampa Bay, obviously, you have O.J. Howard. They're thinking about bringing Gronk back. I would say there's a 95% chance that Brady has anything to say about it, that they bring Gronk back. So Bright's kind of potentially that third guy, right? Because they're going to want to get O.J. Howard some run here at some point. He was injured last year, but once he's healthy, they're going to want to get him on the field as a high draft pick. Cameron Braid is a little bit expensive if it's a trade, but if it's a cut, then that's a totally different equation. He screams Patriots to me just because he has some familiarity with what they did from the Patriots playbook with Brady last year. Uh, he's just that serviceable veteran tight end that was always a little bit under the radar, I would say. Yeah, no, that's a perfect description. I think he's always been a number one tight end that's been playing with somebody better than him. Yeah. So he's always been locked into that number two role, but I've been a fan of his for a while. I think he'd be a good fit. I wonder if Belichick would deal with Tampa. I do. Yeah. I, you know, because we all know who the GM really is there. And maybe that's something where he can leverage Brady maybe wanting a former teammate. Julian Edelman, uh, or, or maybe he just doesn't want to deal with it. Maybe he doesn't want to deal with that organization. Bruce Arians has been taking shots at him left and right, basically, sure. since Brady signed there. So I really like Brady. I don't know that Belichick is going to – I think Belichick would look elsewhere first. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if Brady becomes available. I mentioned Njaku, too, quickly, just – an extremely athletic freak at tight end. This is why the yeah. guy was first round pick, right? He had a, his second year, I believe it was in Cleveland. He had over 600 receiving yards. Looked like he was going to sort of get, come into his own in the NFL and live up to that draft type injuries, inconsistencies, drops, you know, all those types of things that sort of led it to, them to a divorce here coming up. He is not your prototypical hand in the dirt 
block somebody in line type of tight end that the Patriots usually go for, but he's got some real receiving upside as a kind of move chess piece tight end, a flex tight end joker, whatever you want to call it. Move him around the formation a little bit, get him some matchups out of the slot. He's got size, he's got speed, athleticism. He's sort of the perfect guy, I would say, of all these guys to kind of go with that upside, right? Somebody that's still relatively young that has the athletic upside to be better than he has been in the NFL. Yeah, so he had a, a, a over his first two seasons, he played 16 games each year. He had a thousand yards total combined, 400 then 700. Since yeah. then, he's played just 17 games over the last two with 250. So he's certainly been on the downswing. I believe. I don't know if you want to look his contract up real quick. He's playing under his like his fifth year option is up, right? Did they sign him to a fifth year option? And this might be his. Did well, they extend him? I mean, he's been in the league for four years. Did they extend him? We'll have to look it up. I I can't imagine they picked up his fifth year option. I mean, he he hasn't had the production to pick up a top twenty picks. Well, so then he's option. a pending. So well, then he's a pending free agent. Oh no, he does. It looks like they did pick it up. Interesting. Spot track has him with the or they gave him a one year extension or something. Spot yeah. track has him as with a six million dollar contract this year. So you know that's right. The Patriots wheelhouse young guy, former first round pick, has been a disappointment. Right. Last year of his contract, I mean, that that's what the Patriots love to do. And like you mentioned, the athleticism, there, there's crazy upside. His discipline as a blocker would certainly be an issue. And, and you know, Belichick loves consistency. He's been inconsistent. But what you have to look at, you go into the tape, the Browns offense as a whole has been wildly uncons- inconsistent under Baker Mayfield. That's just been their identity. So you go and look at, is his inconsistency tied to the inconsistency of the offense? Or is it? His own issues. It's just a David and Joku issue in a bubble, regardless of what the offense is doing. But if, if he checks that box, he makes a ton of sense. I'm going to look up his contract when you make the next point. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing with David and Joku is that you almost have to look at him as a player as what did you scout him as? They did Adam pick up the fifth year option, by the way. Wow. Right? So that's the fifth year options at six million dollars. Okay. Got it. So. With Njoku, I think you have to look at it like, how did you scout the player coming out of the University of Miami, right? Because it's been sort of a dumpster fire for him in Cleveland. He went through the transition into this Kevin Stefanski era. There was a lot of things going wrong for David Njoku in the Cleveland Browns when he was drafted in the first round a few years ago. So if you liked him coming out of the draft and the Patriots just didn't have an opportunity to select him because of where they were in the order, then I think that you have to look at that player as almost starting afresh and starting anew here in New England. And, and evaluate him based off of how you thought of him out of the draft and think, okay, maybe we can get something out of him to what we thought his his scouting profile was going to be in the NFL and really kind of forget about the Cleveland years. That's how I would look at a player like Njoku. And a lot of these young guys that come available that kind of didn't pan out with their original teams, I think that's how the Patriots look at it too is how did we feel about him three or four years ago in the draft? Do we think that that player still exists within him? And do we think we can get that player out of him? And I think a joke is a perfect example of how that could work out for New England if they're able to get their hands on somebody like that. We have a few more guys that we want to discuss, but I want to shout out our friends at betonline.ag first. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. But online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real-time update odds, and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, Alex, you wrote about this, the cap casualty trades and stuff like that for the Patriots, and these are the two guys I want to get to now. The first one, let's get the the pie-in-the-sky one out of the way. Okay. Michael Thomas and the New Orleans Saints, they've had some issues in the past, certainly at times. Their Saints, I believe, are still $70 million. 80. Over, $80 million 80. over the salary cap right now. They have to shed salary, right? They, they just have yeah. to. So they don't have any choice but to cut some of these players. Another name I wrote down is actually former Patriot Malcolm Brown, who they paid a lot in free agency. He might be another guy that's going to hit the open market because of, of a cap casualty type Michael Thomas. We all know that we would love Michael Thomas in New England. It's a great fit, but 
is there any chance that he is actually moved by New Orleans? So he's not going to get cut. And I don't think Brown fits under this either. When we talk about cap casualties, Michael Thomas and the next guy we're going to discuss too, they're not going to get cut. They might get traded, but they're not going to get cut. Yeah, the Saints are 80 million under. And unless they want to just blow up the entire roster and, and just try to win with three superstars, they have to basically move Kamara, Lattimore, or Thomas. I think they have to move one of those three guys. And they, let's be honest, you're, Michael Thomas is, is the weakest link there. He's the odd man out. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. I did flirt with the idea of maybe suggesting J.C. Jackson for Lattimore. And maybe it's like, you know, he's not as good, but he's only going to make about $2 million and there's some cap relief. But this one just felt more realistic. Um, then Albert Breer goes out and floats it on NBC Sports Boston. Granted, he had the price as a second or third round pick. Well, it's a, heavy, it's a hefty contract, so there's not a lot of teams that are going to be able to get into the bidding. He's a great player, but there's not a lot of teams that have $20 million in cap space right now to acquire the player. So it's only a short I list. I still think, I know, but the Saints have some leverage here. Because they, they could leverage. go out and get, you know, they could look at a player for player swap, maybe for right. a guy in a rookie deal who's making less money. They could give up a pick, uh, you know, to get a better pick. So I, you know, I floated because I, I test these things out sometimes and like I got the group chat I'm in. We're all, all, you know, test my takes. Um, and I, I put the Michael Thomas one out there and I got torn apart for suggesting only a first for that. So I, and, and some people didn't want them. Some people, they, 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 they buy into the whole slant boy thing. And there is some truth to that. I was going to talk to you about that. I think the biggest thing that you look at with that, listen, he slants are his favorite route. And there's no doubt about it, right? He runs a slant, I think it's like 35% of the time. It's by far the route that he runs the most. He runs all routes good, right? He, he's a good route runner no matter what he's running. But in order to get Michael the best out of Michael Thomas, you do have to have a timing passer like a Drew Brees to get him the football because he is going to want to work out of the slot. He's going to want to work those timing routes. He's going to want to have some options on his routes, right? He's not the type of guy that you just say, hey, go line up left and run deep and we're going to hit you, right? That, that That's not Michael right. Thomas. He is somebody that does – get his production within the structure of the offense and the offense needs to be running efficiently on time correctly in order for him to get his out up, you know, absolute kind of best out of him. And that's why he was such a great pairing with Drew Brees before Drew Brees' arm fell off was because Drew Brees was that quarterback, right? He was that efficient pocket passer. If the Patriots draft Mac Jones and they want to pair him with Michael Thomas, then maybe we have something brewing here. If the Patriots want to bring back Cam Newton and pair him with Michael Thomas, then I don't know if that's necessarily a great marriage. So I would, and that's all true. I would just say quarterback aside, the slant boy stuff, if any Patriots fans worried about that. The entire Patriots dynasty, the whole concept of the Patriots way, the last 20 years, it's all built on the idea of finding guys who do one thing really well and maximizing the amount of times they do that one thing, right? All over the field, all different positions. That's the Patriots, like, like you have your, your, your top five or 10 players who are just good players, but you know, uh, guys, Patriots fans, and I'm not saying that these guys are on the same level of Michael Thomas, but you know, a guy like Jabal Sheard, a guy like Hakeem Ayers on the defensive side of the ball, um, it, Julian Edelman, even Wes Welker, like these kinds of receivers, um, James White, who's really good at catching the football. James White is not necessarily a complete back, but he's really, really good at one element of the game. And Bill Belichick, more so than any other coach, knows how to maximize players like that. Is Michael Thomas's tool bag a little bit limited compared to a guy you can get in free agency, maybe a Chris Godwin? Yes. Is any team outside of the Saints going to get more out of the Patriots than Michael Thomas? I don't know. Because, again, they're so good at, at finding at, when a player can do one thing at maximizing the potential of that one thing. So I like – and the other thing, we talked about it before, Zach Ertz, Right. Is any receiver you take at 15, let's assume Devonta Smith is off the board, let's assume Jamar Chase is off the board, is any receiver you take at 15 going to be better, like maybe they'll be better than Michael Thomas, but can you definitively say you'd rather have any receiver and take that risk at 15 than just have Michael Thomas at 15? No, Michael Thomas is definitely the best name that we have ever floated out there for the Patriots to get in a receiving trade. I would right. say, I, I would. Well, like it's one thing, oh, and, and this isn't this isn't realistic because the cap. But you know, people float Thomas for Gilmore. Like right. that's different. You're talking right. about player to player, but when you have an established NFL player who is what a year removed, two years removed from leading the league in receptions, yeah, he he's better than any draft option. It's just a better 
chance to take definitively. There's no argument there. Right. I just think what it comes back to is what kind of offense do you want to be moving forward? And on top of the fact that you are going to have to let Michael Thomas live into in the middle of the field, you are going to have to let him run a lot of slants. You are going to have to let him run a lot of option style routes. He's not a vertical threat. So you what you need to do is you need to layer Michael Thomas on top of that with somebody that can take the top off a little bit to get Rashad that on top of him, right? Because if you have those safeties walking up all the time because there's no deep threat, then Michael Thomas is going to have a tough time time navigating the middle of the field with the with the safety rotating in or them cutting him off or whatever the case may be. But in terms of a fit of stylistic from what we've seen from the Patriots offense for the last 20 years, granted with Tom Brady at quarterback, Michael Thomas's ability to get open in the middle of the field, ability to get open quickly in the down, right? This is a guy that can really create separation within two and a half, three seconds of the ball being snapped, which is really crucial, uh, crucial, excuse me. And also, just the toughness, the dependability, the, the reliability in his overall game, the way, the physicality in which he plays, the edge in which he plays with. I think all of those things, it's a little Edelman-like, right? You know, that he's a little feisty. And I think that he looks back at that draft where he was selected late in the second round, or I think it was like mid-second round or something like that, and he feels disrespected. He feels like he should have gone higher than that, and I think he carries that chip on his shoulder this entire time. So I, I love the fit. I love the player. I just question what kind of offense are they really going to be and who's going to be playing quarterback, and is that going to actually be a good fit with what Michael Thomas's skill set is? If they're going to run the Patriot offense with Tom Brady just with a new quarterback and it's Jimmy G or it's Mac Jones or someone like that, Marcus Mariota even, then I can tie myself easily into Michael Thomas. Well, isn't that what it is? Because Josh McDaniels is still here. If he didn't change yeah. the offense last, and I know he changed it a little bit, but if there was a monumental change last year, what makes you think there's going to be any kind of change this year? I, you're right. But the question is, is who do they go for eventually? The, the quarterback question is that that's fair. That's another element, but I don't where, think, where I do think the Patriots go? offense is still going to be the Patriots offense. If they go with a guy like a Trey Lance or Justin Fields falls to them or something like that, one of these college quarterbacks that are coming out right now, they don't run that offense anymore in college, right? They, they, they're not running that style of offense. Mac Jones in Alabama is the closest thing to it. But right? you've, been, you've been drooling about how accurate Trey Lance is. He's an accurate deep ball thrower, though. You know, he's a guy that okay. you're going to want to throw deep with. The, the timing and anticipation types of routes, it's just not – because they're so predicated on timing and practicing and repetition – these college offenses don't do that type of stuff anymore, right? 90% of college offenses nowadays take elements of air raid, right? So vertical passing concepts, RPOs, things like that, and then elements of the McVeigh, Shanahan, West Coast scheme – and they combine them. That's exactly what BYU did with Zach Wilson. That's exactly what, you know, the air raid deep style concepts is what Ohio State ran with Justin Fields. Uh, the air raid combo with the Shanahan McVay is what Trey Lance ran at North Dakota State. Th- those are the college offenses nowadays, not you know, we're going to run a bunch of option routes with timing and anticipation and uh, attack leverage all over the field and like the Patriots used to do. So uh, it's going to be questionable whether they're going to be able to run that offense, I think, with a young quarterback because they just don't run that type of offense. Let's talk about this last one first, and then uh, and then we're going to get into the defense side of the ball. Michael Gallup, Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys have already paid Amari Cooper. They've already paid Zeke Elliott. they got to pay Dak Prescott. They have Maybe. a lot of money to coming towards those books in terms of offensive talent, Michael Gallup might be the odd man out. And he's someone that a lot of people have floated around in trade ideas. I think what you had a second and a fifth going to Dallas or something like that. Maybe this is where the Patriots could get creative with Stephon Gilmore too and, and, and get, something like a Gilmore for Gallup and Picks type of trade going or something like that. I really like the idea of trying to go after Gallup, though, because Dallas can't possibly play all of these receiving talents, all of these offensive players all at once. Right, and they have C.D. Lamb, who was a first-round pick, so Gallup kind of turns into the odd man out in that situation. He's going to be cheaper because he's on the last year of his deal. And there's no, you know, maybe you get, if you can get a guarantee that he signs long-term, you know, then I, then a first round pick's probably part of the discussion. Then Stefan Gilmore's probably part of the discussion. But I, you know, in, in mine, again, 985thesportshub.com, I worked under the assumption that it's essentially the Brandon Cooks trade without the option, right? You're, you know, you're going to get a good receiver, but you're only getting him for one year. And then right. you don't know what's happening. So you look, they gave up the last pick in the first round for Brandon Cooks. I also think Cooks at the time, 
is a better player than Gallup is. Look, Gallup is very good. He flirted with a thousand yards last year. I think he had a thousand yards actually the year before that. Um, so, you know, I, I look at it and okay, it's not a first, it's a second, but there's that inherent value between the first and the second round with the fifth year option. So you throw a day three pick on there, a fifth. I give that up for your Michael Gallup. I really do because he's going to jumpstart this offense. And we talked last week, right, about as important as that 1A is, and the Patriots need that 1A, the support cast is going to make or break what this offense looks like, right, the second and third wide receiver. I don't know that Gallup is the 1A. I, I don't think he's quite there. He's a good player. He's an underrated player. I'm surprised he's not getting talked about more. I don't think, like when Brandon Cooks came in, he was a 1. Brandon Cooks was your number 1 outside receiver. I don't see Gallup there. But if you trade for Michael Gallup, who's on, I think he's making less than a million dollars this year because it's a, it's a rookie contract again. Right. Then you can go out, then maybe Allen Robinson be, comes into play. And I've been down on Allen Robinson because if he's $20 million, I'd rather go get two $10 million receivers and spread the wealth and make sure you have a multifaceted offense. But if you go out and get Michael Gallup, who's very affordable, if you have, you know, Gallup and if you have Robinson and Gallup and then Jacoby Myers in the slot, and then maybe Zach Ertz or, or Kyle Rudolph or Gerald Everett. Like, now you have an offense. Here right. you go. Now we're talking. So Gallup's super affordable. I think he's absolutely obtainable. The contract is the only issue. Not in terms of the money, just that it's a one-year thing. You can try to re-sign him. I'd be all for re-signing him. But, you know, you get an established NFL wide receiver at cost. I don't think you have to give up a ton to do it. And if you do, it probably means you're getting him locked in for four or five years, which is Absolutely worth it in that case. So of, of all the trades I put out there, again, 985thesportshub.com, Gallup's my favorite one. It reminds me a ton of the Cooks trade. I know people like to bash that trade because he got a concussion in the Super Bowl. Yeah. That was a really good trade. Really that good trade had the, and I wrote about this last year for 985 the Sports Hub. And if you tweeted me at Real Alex Barth, if enough people do, I'll put the link out there. The Brandon Cooks trade was a lot more similar to the Randy Moss trade than people oh, realize. I it was. I'm sorry. Was it, it was. I knew it this was. was Let me cut you off before you. you anyway, Gallup's, Gallup's a good trade. They should go. I, like I take Gallup over Thomas, factoring in the cost and everything around it. I, Gallup is my favorite trade. Well, so Gallup is a true boundary receiver, right? He's somebody that you can line up at the X spot, and he can win outside the numbers. He's got great control of the sideline, great body control to high point the ball, and he can really create separation. Again, a lot of these guys, and we talk so much about separation, 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 and people are going to see Michael Gallup, and you're not going to see a guy that's a burner. He's not Tyreek Hill, right? He's not going to create 10 yards of separation on a deep target or something like that. But the way that he gets open at the line of scrimmage, uses his physicality down the field to win at the catch point, can work the sideline. That's the type of guy that they're missing as well in this offense. On top of a speed or a speed demon or a burner, they're also missing that guy. So another name that I would throw out there, you mentioned Allen Robinson. What if you can get a guy like Michael Gallup and a guy like Curtis Samuel in here? Sure. Right. So Curtis Samuel is that Z receiver that plays off the line of scrimmage that you can motion all around the formation. He has some speed to him as well. He's got good burst. He's actually a running back converted to wide receiver. So he's got ball carrying skills. And then you have that outside one on one receiver in Michael Gallup, like you said, with Allen Robinson or whichever kind of pairing you want to make, right? Then you're at least going towards something. And I think you're building an offense. And I wouldn't hesitate one bit to sign Michael Gallup to a contract extension on upon that trade. I think that's well, it was, my hesitance with that is more about does he want to hit the open market? Like is he right. gonna get locked down? I, I think the Patriots would or whatever team trades for him would. Right. I just don't like if I'm him, I'm looking to get paid and you get paid hitting the open market. You don't get right. paid signing an extension. Right. And you do worry that the Patriots would want to see it in their offense first before they handed out that extension you know if you trade for the player and you immediately offer him 30 million dollars guaranteed then you'd probably be able to sign the player right, Long, right. longer term right. i don't know if the patriots would be willing to go there yet with michael gallup until they saw it within their offense and knew that he was going to be productive but again it's that outside receiver that gives them that one-on-one guy that can win outside the numbers that can win on the boundary that can play the x basically what they were hoping to kill harry was going to be but i think we can safely say that kill harry is probably not going to be at the nfl level is that type of player so maybe Michael Gallup is your Nikhil Harry and then you eventually get somebody that can play that Z slot role and you have Jacoby Myers as the third receiver coming in to play the slot in 11 personnel that that's a direction that I can get behind that 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 now we're heading towards something real on offense and whoever the quarterback is I think could really work with that 
Well, it's interesting you mentioned Akio because the other, I, I tried to find a way to trade him when I was putting this together. I don't even know and, what kind of value he would have, right? Well, so I think like it's Nikhil Harry's not the only rookie to struggle through two yeah. years, like far from that. So you try to find a guy. It doesn't have to be a wide receiver, just at a position in need who's maybe in the same spot with their team that Nikhil is with the Patriots, like a, a change of pace guy. Mike Reese threw out the possibility of Christian Kirk in Arizona. I actually think Kirk's been fine. I think he's a really good fit there, so I don't know that that happens. But you go back to that 2019 class, and I looked in the first rounds, pretty much all hits. I mean, yeah. that was a really strong draft class. But try to find, you know, maybe the year before, the year after it's different because it's one year left on the deal. But find another rookie who you think you can revive, who maybe just needs a change of scenery at a position of need. Maybe it's a pass-catching running back. Maybe it's a tight end. Maybe it's you're a linebacker, you're whatever. You're in, a, in our text chain that I, I really like the idea of Hollywood Brown. I, I yeah, so that's, again, like, I, how much do you have to give up with, like, that, that, I, I was really tempted to do that. But yeah. I still feel like, I, I don't know, externally, I think people still think of Hollywood Brown as, like, good and, like, a legitimate number one receiver. Maybe. I don't think he is, like, how much... I don't know that you can swap those two one for one. How much more do you have to give up? Is it Nikhil in a fifth? Yeah, I'm into that. Is it Nikhil in a second? No, no I'd rather just draft a receiver in the second round. Right. I don't think it would be that much. The issue with Hollywood Brown was the is the physicality of the game. He can't get coverage off of him. Right? Well, he also he, can't he, catch. He, he, well, that too. But he's really fast, right? We know that. But the issue is, is that he just – feels the coverage, it weighs him down, and, and that slows him down in the process. And J.C. Jackson in that matchup against Baltimore this past season was able to just ride him up and down the sideline. It doesn't matter how fast you are if you can't get off the coverage, right? But they have a quarterback in Lamar Jackson, and, and we're not going to get into a whole Lamar Jackson debate here, but they have a quarterback in Lamar Jackson that, quite frankly, needs big-body pass catchers to be effective, right? This is yeah. not the type of guy that's going to be able to throw 60 yards on a dime to a five foot nine receiver with dinosaur arms like Hollywood Brown. Right. That's not going to happen. He's not a, he's, his catch radius is tiny. That was an issue with him coming out as well. His hands are a little bit spotty. Those are the types of things that inaccurate quarterbacks usually struggle with. And the idea with drafting Hollywood Brown was that he was going to create so much separation down the field that Lamar Jackson just could arm punt it down there and be able to get him the football. But since that hasn't happened, I think that that's a player that doesn't fit with Lamar Jackson's optimal skill set. Whereas with Nikhil Harry, that is a guy that has a six foot three receiver's catch radius and somebody that Lamar Jackson could just throw the ball in the general area of Nikhil Harry. And maybe Nikhil Harry can still make the catch. Whereas with Hollywood Brown, that's not going to be the case. So the Patriots get their speedster granted a, a, and one that has shortcomings, right? You know, it has limitations, right. but the Patriots get somebody that can run and the, and the Ravens get somebody that can go up and win a contested catch for Lamar Jackson, who is not the most accurate passer in the league. So I see that marriage actually working. I just you think, think you, so you think that could work one for one? Like I thought that I was maybe selling it short one for one. I didn't know that the Ravens would realistically Hollywood do Brown that. certainly had better production in the NFL than Nikhil Harry. Right? I would say the he other thing too, in, the other thing too, in terms of the Patriots is he is Antonio Brown's cousin. Oh, and that's, that's true. That's not nothing. That that's not nothing in this. It, it's it's close to nothing, but it's not nothing. I, oh. I think that, I think that the Nikhil Harry for Hollywood Brown swap would definitely the Patriots have to give up something for Hollywood Brown certainly. But so that's Hollywood, what I'm that's what I'm asking. How loaded the receiver classes too? I, I don't know how much you actually have to give up because Hollywood Brown in this wide receiver class is what wide receiver seven, wide receiver eight. So that that's, that's what I'm asking. You. What's what's the add on? Like because that that's yeah. where I'm drawing my line right in this. Right. Yeah. That, that's, that's the tough part. I would say probably a fourth, maybe a, a, a fifth, if you can get I'd probably lucky. do that. Right. I'd probably do that. I just think that skill set wise, Nikhil Harry fits better on Baltimore and Hollywood Brown fits better in New England. Right. You yeah. know, it, just in terms of their pure skill sets. Let's move over to the defense side of the ball. Let's do it. We, defense week. Here we, we go. Half an hour into defense week. We're getting to offense. defense again. So we're going to do at least a solid 20 minutes on the defense. We talked about some free agent targets. We talked about corners in the first round last week. So we're going to stay to the front seven. And my biggest question looking at the available front seven players for Bill Belichick, it's a loaded free agency class in terms of front seven talent. And it's not a very good draft in terms of front seven talent on the line of scrimmage. They're good linebacker prospects, not a whole lot of good D-line prospects. My question is, is Bill Belichick going to buck his trend and pay for pass rush? 
Is he going to go out and sign somebody that he should have drafted in Yannick Ngakwe and make up for that mistake and sign Yannick Ngakwe to a $17, $18 million deal? Would he be willing to sign Hassan Reddick or Shelby Harris or Matthew Udon to a nice contract for a pass rusher? That's not typically Bill Belichick's M.O., but those three players I just mentioned off the top right there, or four players, are guys that definitely fit what they do and could really come in here and help and add some pass rush talent to the Patriots. Yeah, I, I, you actually cut out there, so I apologize if I'm doubling up on this name. I wonder if instead of giving out like big, big, hefty contracts on the defensive side of the football, if he's going to look for some veterans where he can pay, but it's short term. And the guy look at there, and, and he has some some legal stuff to short out first. First, but if that all clears, is Von Miller. Yeah. And I wonder if he gives Von Miller like a one or two year deal. Uh, you know, kind of, maybe maybe Darrell Revis is it. And just here's a stopgap, and then you can, you know, develop Josh Uche. You can develop Anthony Jennings. You figure out what you're doing with with Chase Winovich. They're probably going to draft a pass rusher this year. You develop that guy. But in the meantime, you have Vaughn Miller as as a weapon, and he's doing that. So instead of giving, you know, Ngakwe, you're probably looking at a four- to five-year commitment. Matthew Judon, you're probably looking at a four- to five-year commitment. I don't know that that's the case with Vaughn Miller. So I wonder if – I think he'd be willing to give up the money – but I wonder if he's more comfortable giving up the money short term. You know, I guess J.J. Watt fits in this category, but I don't think he's realistically coming here. Vaughn Miller, if you're talking about that top, top class, he's the guy uh, I, I've looked at in, in terms of, you know, if they're going to pay big money for a pass rusher. Yeah, that's a good one, too. And and he's I believe he's under contract, but it's one of these guys that we talked about cap casualties right. being a possibility. He, I wrote him down in the cap casualty section, but I figured we would talk about him here. He played in a 3-4 under Wade Phillips where he was an outside linebacker on a 3-4 system. It, it's a different system. It's not as predicated on setting the edge and doing stuff like that. And it's By the way, real quick, it's a, it's a club option, and I believe, I'm pretty sure the belief right now is that they're going to decline that option. Yeah, I would think so. so. He, he is the perfect type of player with they, when, you know, five years ago when they had Tom Brady, that Von Miller would have Patriots written all over him just like JJ. Right, but they'd already be getting JJ Watt, so it wouldn't matter. They could get both, and that would be great. Right. But the question is, is does Von Miller, is Von Miller, he's already got his ring, he's already got his Super Bowl MVP. How important, what's important to him at this stage, right? Is ring chasing important to him? Is repairing his image a little bit important to him? You know, what, what what's the thing that's most important? to Von Miller because in terms of pass rush fit, in terms of player fit, definitely a, a guy that could come in here and would be plug and play day one. Von Miller is our starting, you know, right outside linebacker and that's that, right? You know, that's the way that you can look at that move. Uh, the question I have is, is he really interested in coming to a place like New England where maybe they won't be competing for a Super Bowl next year, but maybe he can reset his value in a defense that desperately needs somebody to come in here and make a big impact and whether it's in New England because they start building something or it's elsewhere in 2022, maybe he can kind of reset his market and go out and get another big contract before he hangs it up. Perfect player fit. Again, not exactly the same system under Wade Phillips as Bill Belichick. Wade, a lot more aggressive with his scheme up front, but definitely still a 3-4 outside linebacker prototype. You know, that that's the prototype for a 3-4 outside linebacker over the years has been Von Miller. The other name that I wanted to talk about was Shelby Harris from Denver, who yes. absolutely destroyed that game the Patriots played earlier the uh, last season uh, between the Broncos and the Pats, and the Broncos beat them here. Shelby Harris is a lot like Jabal Sheard, but better. Uh can move him around the formation, move him around the line of scrimmage. He can rush inside. He can rush outside. He's your disruptor. He's not necessarily a guy that adds up sack totals and racks up tackles for loss, but he's just always in the backfield, always around the football, always difficult to block. Uh, just a perfect kind of Patriot guy who doesn't necessarily have the name recognition or the kind of the top billing to maybe land a $15 million deal in free agency. Maybe you get him for 9, 10, 11, somewhere in that range. Again, maybe on a short-term deal as somebody that wants to reset his value. Shelby Harris, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Shelby Harris reminds me a lot of Lawrence Guy before Lawrence Guy was a Patriot. Yeah, he's a little bit more pass rushy than Lawrence Guy was, you know, a a little bit quicker off the ball. But that sort of guy, that unsung right. hero type of player. Maybe he's a little bit more advanced, but like when Lawrence Guy got here, right, he was a run stopper who was learning to pass rush, and the Patriots kind of rounded out his game. Shelby Harris entered the NFL as a run stopper and has learned to become a pass rusher, and he's probably progressed a little further than Lawrence Guy did to, to the similar point in their careers, but the Patriots have 
pretty good success with these guys who I, at least from my point of view, they seem to like to go out and get run stoppers who they can teach to pass rush instead of pass rushers who they can teach to stop the run, which yeah. is kind of the crossroads we're at with Chase Winovich is a perfect example of when they don't do that. So Shelby Harris to me jumps out as that guy who can, and again, Lawrence guy is a free agent and he's somebody I think who, you know, can, can play against the run, can play against the rat, uh, pass, can play tackle, can play end. He can kind of, wherever you need him, you can put him and he'll get the job done. And Lawrence Guy played well last year, but he was pretty banged up and you started to kind of see the physical effects. And 31 isn't young for a guy that age and, or for, for an NFL player. And maybe he comes back on a team friendly deal guy. He said he wants to come back, but if the Patriots want to upgrade defensively up front, right? That Shelby, uh, uh, I almost said Shelby Miller. Shelby, <laughs> Shelby Harris. Right. Shelby Harris over Lawrence Guy. Like that's a great spot where you pump some money in, you upgrade, you get a younger player. You don't, you, you know, you, you don't lose any versatility or anything like that. That's a guy. And you mentioned that he played super well against the Patriots last year. I mean, he's just checking every single right. box. Yeah. I think he's absolutely a guy to keep an eye on. Yeah. And the other thing with Shelby Harris too is that just to wrap it up on him. They really missed guys that could, they could keep on the field in any situation last year, right? They had Lawrence Guy, who's a really good first and second down defensive lineman. They had Adam Butler, who's a really good pass rushing specialist. They had Dietrich Wise, really good pass rushing specialist. Byron Cowart, good run stuffing specialist, right? But they didn't have guys that could play all three downs consistently. This is an issue on the edge too with guys like Chase Winovich and Josh Uche, really good pass rush, passing downs players. But when they had to set the edge, it was a little bit more problematic. Shelby Harris is a guy that you can put on the field at any time, anywhere, and have him play at all three three downs in all situations. And they just didn't have enough of those guys on the line of scrimmage last year that they could actually play in any type of situation. So a guy like Harris, and another one that I'll mention quickly is Matthew Udon from Baltimore, who was franchise tagged last year and is probably going to hit the open market this year. Just another guy that can do a bunch of different things, and you can use him in a bunch of different ways to keep him on the field in all situations. Udon is certainly a player that plays more on the edge than a guy like Shelby Harris, but he can drop into coverage, he can rush, he can stop the run. You know, just an all-around player. And I don't think they had any all-around players on their defensive line last year. And they had a bunch of plug-and-play guys that they sort of had. Besides, besides Lawrence Guy, right? Lawrence Guy was, he's a good pass rusher, but he's not a great pass rusher, right? Okay. And, and on third down, really didn't play a whole lot. I, I was just thinking like positionally. I get what you're saying now. Okay. Yeah, third and long, you're, you're putting Adam Butler in there. You're putting right. Heath Wise in there and you're trying to get after the passer. Lawrence Guy, not really that type of player. So maybe Udon, maybe a, a guy like Shelby Harris. This is sort of why I steer away from somebody like Yannick as much as they loved him a few years ago in the draft. He's a pass rushing talent, right? He's a pass yeah. specialist. I think what they need to do and, and defenses, excuse me, opposing offenses really started to catch on to this with the Patriots defense last year is that when they had guys like Lawrence Guy and Byron Coward in the, in the game, they knew that they could have all day to throw. Right. They knew that they right. didn't have anybody up front that was a really dynamic pass rusher. Similarly, when they put their, their defensive lines with Adam Butler and Dietrich Wise, they knew that they could be run on and teams adapted to that personnel and game plan for that personnel. So they need to get players that are scheme versatile, game plan versatile, where teams can't just say, oh, Adam Butler's on the field, Dietrich Wise is on the field, we're going to run it right at him, right? Lawrence Guy's now on the field, we're going to drop back and pass. They have to be more dynamic than that. Off-ball linebacker, another really interesting class. Will Bill Belichick pay for it? That's a different question, but guys like Levante David, Matt Milano, certainly uh, somebody that another guy that Albert Beer threw out there for the Patriots as uh, stealing from the Bills because who doesn't love to steal from the Bills? So that's an interesting one too. Levante David, I, I love him as a player, but he's 31 years old. I'm not certain sure how crazy I am about them investing in an older player like that, but Milano definitely feels like a guy that they could invest in at, I think he's like 26 or something like that and get him in here on a four or five year deal and have him in his prime. Well, how about any, I mean, he's not a traditional off the ball linebacker, but Bud Dupree, who kind of played yeah, all over the Steelers defense. Yeah. I mean that you're talking, and he's young. He, he's coming off his rookie deal, I believe, right? He's going to be like, 25, 20, yeah, 28. Still- mostly a pure edge rusher, but he can definitely rush inside or outside, like how they kind of use Dante Hightower in the pass rush, right. where you can stand him up over the guard or over the center, or you can put him out on the edge. But And that's what I'm looking at. Like, I think, you know, they have some promise in terms of run-stopping linebackers when you, when you talk about Juwan Bentley, Therese Hall, guys like that. But 
it's preparing for Dante Hightower's exit. Yeah, I, I think is crucial because like with Hightower, right? He replaced Mayo and they got Hightower in before Mayo left. And it sounds like Hightower is going to come back, but he's got one year on his deal. He's 32 years old. He's had a ton of injuries. You, I, you want to get that next guy in the building. We've talked about the draft, whether it's a guy like Micah Parsons or a guy like Nick Bolton, um, who could possibly fill that role. But I think again, at 28 years old, I would give Bud Dupree a five year contract and I think he could totally fill that role. Yeah, Bud Dupree is a good player. Milano is an interesting one too. I want to go back to him because he's yeah. a coverage linebacker, right? You know, against the run, had issues with missed tackles, angles, things like that. Maybe not the Patriots type in that regard, but they haven't had somebody that can really cover at the linebacker position like Matt Milano can in a while. Maybe since like Jamie Collins was at his peak or something like that, right? So Milano is somebody that can really cover. And I, I remember just watching him uh, go out in man coverage against James White or Gronk, you know, over the years here in New England and really be able to hold his own against those guys. So again, some concerns, some holes in his game as a run defender, but certainly a very, very good pass coverage player, which is desperately what they need at that linebacker position. Let's talk about the first round guys. We, I mentioned we talked about corners, uh, Patrick Sertan, Caleb Farley, JC Horn. Uh, those guys are all possibilities. I wrote down five other names here. Maybe there's another one. I know you really like Nick Bolton, uh, that yeah. I think could be first round players for the Patriots if they want to go in this direction on defense. Uh, Quiddy Pay from Michigan's an obvious one. Michael sure. Parsons, obvious one. Zayvon Collins, my guy from Tulsa is another obvious one. I don't think that they're going to go this way, but it, who the hell knows? Uh, Jeremiah Wasu Kermara from Notre Dame, who's basically Kyle Duggar, but whatever. And then, of course, Christian Barrymore um, from Alabama. I think those five guys in the front seven, this is not a loaded class of defensive linemen. It's a pretty good off-ball linebacker class, though. But I think we all would run up to the podium with the card with Pay, right? I think everybody is on board with that one. But uh, where do you stand on some of these other guys? I guess we can have the Parsons discussion about his off-field right. concerns and maturity. But first, you're in agreement with Pay that that guy's a ball. I guess. I mean, how good was Michigan the last couple of years? And you're just rebuilding their team between Chase and Uche and Onwari. No, I've look, you're getting, the, you're getting the best. Like, that would be a fine pick. I just think it's funny that as Michigan – absolutely collapses all of a sudden Bill Belichick goes all in on him but they, they're Michigan they have good players they've got the talent issue. they just have, don't have the schematic coaching they don't have coaching that's right, right. Yeah. Uh, but we we don't as much as I'd love to have that conversation we can save that one for another time yeah you know I I just feel like with those like those are all positions of depth right and you know again you talk about saving Collins or Micah Parsons you can probably get Nick Bolton at, at what are they picking 45th 46th 47th like you can get that guy there you know, there's going to be good pass rushers down there. A guy like Jalen Phillips out of Miami is a guy I really yeah. like. And I mean, it's a bit of a stretch for him at that point, but you also, and I mentioned this in, in my 98.5thesportshub.com post about the trades. I look at Green Bay. They need another corner next to Jair Alexander. That was painfully obvious, right, in the NFC Championship game. Gilmore for 29, and then all of a sudden you can add your offensive. Like, that's where I'm, look, where I'm looking for them to add defense is either in the second round or trade back up into the first. I think 15 is either going to be a tackle or, or a skill position player, right? Uh, an offensive tackle or a skill position player. So, I mean, uh, Barmore you mentioned, right? Oh, we're going to get to Barmore, don't worry. Well, so so a lot of those guys, I would add, um, you know, I, I think some of those guys, 15 is a bit of a stretch for them. But if you pick up a pick in the 20s and you're doubling down on first-round picks, like I like some of those guys there. Um, so I just, I don't, I think, you know, the edge rusher for Notre Dame, whose name I honestly can't pronounce you saying it is the first time I've heard it out loud and not read it. Um, we can call him Joe, J O K. He's a slot defender. He's a safety, right. basically, playing linebacker. He's Kyle Duggar. He's Adrian Phillips. He's Patrick Chung. You know, he's in that sort of mold. Repetitive player for the Patriots. But my God, does that guy play fast and hard, right? You know, he just goes sideline to sideline, and he's an extremely good coverage player as well. Again, repetitive guy. The one, the one guy I wanted to talk – I want to talk about two guys here before we wrap it up. Zayvon Collins from Tulsa. Nobody wants to draft a linebacker from Tulsa in the first round. They got bigger needs. They got bigger issues. You want a big school, big name brand guy. I get it. Go turn on the tape of Zayvon Collins at Tulsa. This guy flat out dominated the competition. He's 260 pounds, but he can run. 
You know, he can go sideline to sideline. They actually lined him up at weak side linebacker at 260, which is insane. And he just goes sideline to sideline all day long. He can drop into coverage. He can rush the passer, whether he's blitzing from inside the linebacker position or off the edge. I mean, he is a Patriot type of player. He does everything well. He's extremely versatile. The player that I really thought about when I saw him, I think a lot of people get Jamie Collins vibes just because of the last name and the athleticism and the skill set. But the guy that I really reminds me of is Adelis Thomas, who didn't work out here in New England. Yeah, ca- careful, like, careful throwing that name around here. Like The idea of Adelis Thomas okay. when they signed him. Though, Ravens, right? Ravens Adelius Thomas. Yeah, the idea of him. And that's the type of player that I think that you are going to get with Zayvon Collins, who's also – Former high school quarterback, turns linebacker, so he's got that sort of cerebralness to him. Uh, he won the, I forget the name of the award now, but he won the best defensive player in college football for the 2020 season. He is a heck of a football player. And again, that size checks every single measurable box for the Patriots, six foot four, 260 for a linebacker position and the versatility to drop into coverage, play off the ball against the run, rush the passer on or off the line of scrimmage. He is their type of linebacker, just through and through. And I think out of anybody that I've watched in this draft, he's the guy that checks every box from, you know, start to finish really more than any other player I've watched on either side of the football. So he just screams Patriots to me. Christian Barmore is the one that I wanted to wrap it up on because Christian Barmore to me is not the player that Patriots fans want him to be, right? They want him to be the next great Patriots defensive tackle. I'm not going to say Vince Wilfork because he's not that type of player, but you know what I'm trying to say, right? They think that he's that type of guy. He has issues to me. He's a really streaky player. He's inconsistent. He's struggled to get on the field at Alabama at times. He's got flashes of excellent pass rushing skill, right? Just a great off the ball type of guy, some really heavy hands, great arm over move, but he's got concerns with pad level. He's got concerns with consistency. He's not somebody that's going to hold up in a gap and stop the run that way. He has to fly vertically off the ball. He has to get up the field. It's not a system fit. Basically drafting Christian Barmore in the first round to me is like drafting Adam Butler in the first round. You know, that's the type of player that you're getting with him. And I have a lot of reservations with taking him as early as the first round. Maybe if your scenario comes up where they trade for another first round pick, we can talk about it. But Barmore to me is getting a lot of hype to the Patriots because he went to Alabama and he showed out in the national championship game and in the conference title game as well. I just don't think that he's a great player for New England. So I, and I was going to agree with you. The reason I brought it up is if you get that, that second first round pick and he falls a little bit, I think he's a good guy to invest in. But at the same time, you mentioned the next Vince Wilfork, right? I'll look at a guy like Marvin Wilson from Florida State. They're going to draft him too early, aren't they? Here's, here's, here's like my very brief take on Marvin Wilson. Yeah. He can play tackle. He can play end. Wilfork. He's incredibly quick. I mean, he's chasing down running backs on screenplays. Check. Great work with the hands. Okay. Yeah. He just, he, and, and I talked to a Florida State staffer who, you know, kind of agreed with this. And this is, you know, I don't want to say he skipped leg day, but the, he skipped leg day. He's the, got the, 10 legs for a 315 pound guy. We, it's, it's not even the strength. The technique isn't there either. Like right. waist up, he's a top 15 pick. Waist yeah. down, he's still got a lot of work to do. But the thing is, even if he never progresses, you're still getting a guy who can be Adam Butler and, you know, is it better to draft him with the second round pick than trade than pay Adam Butler ten million dollars? And the flip side is the upside is Vince Wilfork ish, where yeah. you have this guy who's just massive but nimble, and that could be a ton of fun. So, like, I I do like Barmore. I get the height, but every time I try to talk myself into it, it's like, yeah, but you, you can get Marvin Wilson twenty picks later, a yeah. better upside. So, you know, I'm torn. To, I do. Re- so you're you you agree to like Marvin Wilson has got to be. ACC defensive tackle out of Florida, from the state of Florida, got to be their guy, right? It's it's a, a very very high on the list. And the one thing I said about him when I did his thread on my Twitter was that he's a plug and play player for New England, right? He can he can play oh, yeah. the rookie day one, and I'm confident that they'll find a spot for him. You mentioned the lower half and, and the ability to leverage blockers and get underneath tackles and get underneath guards and be able to push those guys back was a big problem for him in in college and he was a five-star recruit at a high school one of the I think he was a top 10 recruit at a high school big time big time guy got they love that stuff too the the big time recruits got offered by every school in the country, Alabama, Notre Dame, Florida State, you know go right on down the line right and he picked Florida State and it didn't live up to it 
you didn't live up to it to a, a lot of different reasons that those guys, sometimes those five stars don't live up to the hype, but he didn't live up to it. And the Patriots, I think, are going to look at that player and say, he was used incorrectly or some things went wrong for him at Florida State on or off the field. The coaching staff was in flux down there. It was kind of a mess of a program while he was there. And they're going to say, but he, we still see that talent of why he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. We're still going to get that out of him. If they're going to take Marvin Wilson at 47, I'm perfectly fine with it. They cannot take Marvin Wilson in the first round. He's not a first-round talent. But if they can, if they want to take him at 47, I would be much more on board with Marvin Wilson at 47 than Christian Barmore anywhere in the first round, right? You know, that I think right. is a much better matchup of scheme fit and value because I know that Marvin Wilson can be the type of guy that can hold up at the point of attack, can beat a double team, can two gap at the line of scrimmage, can use his arms and get guys off of him and create separation and shed and things like that. He just needs to hit leg day. He's going to have to hit those hills hard because he, it's kind of weird looking at his body. You know, his body is, is very, very top heavy. And well, I, I don't know so much. I mean, yes, he, he, he could have more strength with the legs. It's the technique too. I think if, if he got the technique got down, it would help make he's up. He's got to be able to get lower and he's got to be able to leverage those blocks and get to his pads down a little bit more because what he likes to do now, because he's so big and he's so powerful and so physically dominant against some of these college guys is that he'll stand straight up and just lock out his arms. And then he uses that to look over the blockers to see where the ball carrier is. You can't do that at the NFL level. Right. If you put your hat up like that at the NFL level, you're going to get pushed 10 yards off the ball by, by whoever is blocking you. In college, you can get away with it. If you're that big and that strong, you can kind of get away with it. Once you get to the pros, those guys are going to push you around if you play that high. So he's got to be able to get low, get lower in his stance, fire out of his stance from a lower center of gravity and be able to hold the point of attack that way and then scan around the the blockers for the ball carrier. But in terms of a fit, you can put him at D-end, 3-4 D-end. You can put him at nose tackle, move him around the line of scrimmage. He's got the upside. Again, much more on board with my It's just the legs. It's it's waist up, first-round pick. Waist down, I don't know what, fifth, sixth round pick? Yeah, it's crazy. Tyler Shelvin from LSU is another one who's just that gap-plugging, block-eating nose tackle who I think can really fit the Patriots as well. Those types of guys are all sort of day two conversation type of players, but this is one of those drafts where I think the defensive line, the value on the defensive line is on day two. Because there isn't a, there isn't an Indomitian Sioux in this draft. There isn't a stud defensive lineman in this draft. So most likely, most of the value is going to be on day two at that position. And a lot of these guys are going to fall down the board. So just don't overdraft anybody. Right. That's really the the biggest lesson that the Patriots need to take into this draft at the defensive line position. It's a need. It's certainly a role I'd like to see them fill. Just don't overdraft anybody. Yeah, no, I I would agree, and I mean that's ultimately what they're going to do. But again, that's why I like with some of the names you mentioned, unless they, unless like J.C. Horn falls, maybe Parsons. But again, there's other red flags there. I just, yeah. it's an offensive heavy draft. I I yeah. 15, it's diff, and I'm not saying that doesn't mean they can't take a defensive player, but I just I don't see that defensive player there at 15, pending somebody significantly falling. It's why I love the idea of trading back up into the first round, or maybe even early in the second, pick up two second round picks, you know, get a pick in the 30s, and then you have a 30 and 47, and use both those picks on defense maybe, or something like that. I just, the quarterback issue aside, even if they didn't need a quarterback, picking at 15 in this draft, it's an offensively friendly draft. You want to be using that pick on an offensive player. Yeah, it definitely is. There's going to be, I would say, 65 to 70% of the first round is going to be offense. You're going to have five quarterbacks. You have five or six tackles. Right. I mean, defensively, what? Receivers. In terms of a lock, you have three corners, three um, corners. like three Pretty or four edge rushers. Micah Parsons, Zayvon. Probably is Zayvon even like a first-round lock? Like, I don't know. I don't know how you watch the tape and not see a first-round lock. But Tulsa, because I see the uniform just Tulsa. I, yeah, well, you know what, scouting the uniform, you can't do that. So I, I, I like guess. Like, teams don't do that? I'm, no, I'm, I'm just saying. I guess you, you don't think there's going to be teams that look at Tulsa and say second round? Maybe, maybe, but I mean, I, he's easily one of the 30 best players in the draft, 32 best players in the draft. I mean, most boards that I look at have him as a top 25, top 20 guy. So it's possible. It's possible that they don't yeah. want, like, the level of competition. That's, that's, yeah. that's true. But, 
I mentioned the five guys that I mentioned. Those guys are all going first round. The three corners, that's eight right there. Maybe there is a couple guys that sneak in. I think you're talking about 10 guys realistically on the defensive side of the ball, 11 guys that go in the first round. I think the rest of it's going to be offense. So it's going to be an offensive heavy draft. The Patriots, of course, will take a defensive player in the first round because everybody else is going offense. But we finally made it through a podcast, I think, almost fully without mentioning anything about the quarterback. I mean, when we did, it was in the context of the rest of the discussion, which is fun. Right, right. It's football. You can't not talk about the quarterback. So no, no, no deep dives into Cam Newton coming back or Mac Jones or anything like that. We're going to have plenty more time to talk about those things. So on Thursday, you can join us on the live Q and a, ask us about quarterbacks if you want, but try to bring some other questions too, because we get so many quarterback questions. We want to change up the conversation just a little bit, but Live Q&A on Thursday, back on the pod on Tuesday. We're going to keep that forum going throughout the entire offseason, so make sure to check it all out on our YouTube channel at Patriots Press Pass. You can also subscribe to the podcast feed, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you want to get your podcast. Patriots Beat is on all of those places. Follow Alex, Real Alex Barth on Twitter, me, Easy Lazar, and we will be back on Thursday for the Q&A, Tuesday on the pod. Thanks for listening, everybody.